Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. Praise God. Alright, you're welcome to church again. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 to 10. I want us to uh, look into our Bibles deliberately. From death to life. Okay. If you are there, say amen. amen. Awesome. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, you know, Paul started out by talking about the state of the man who is not saved. My, my intention is that we will speak briefly and we will pray a lot. And I hope I'm able to do that. <laughs> Want us to pray. The scriptures talked about the state of the one who is not saved. And the Bible says that he is dead in trespasses and sins. They say that that was the state that we were in. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And of course, he, Paul, the apostle, tried to explain what this death looks like. Truly, it is an inner working that has external symptoms. <laughs> Praise God. But he tried to explain what this death looks like. And he defined this death as a way of life that we were given over to. It says that we were living according to the ways of this world. He calls it the ways of this world where we were gratifying the cravings of the flesh. So, one major way we know that someone is not regenerate, that someone is spiritually dead, is that they are given. Notice what I said. They are given to satisfying 
the cravings of the flesh. Amen. It says that that's how we were. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And if you don't know what the death means, it means that we were following after a particular way. Praise God. It was an inclination. An inclination was an inclination towards the satisfaction of the cravings of the flesh. Its desires, its thoughts ruled over us. Now, this death that Paul was describing didn't just end in that state of, you know, turned away from God to the ways of the world and fulfilling the desires of the flesh, right? Giving to the fulfillment of the desires of the flesh. But he also told us something. That that death is also a pathway that has a destination. And the destination is wrath. The Bible says that and we were by nature children of wrath. So that means that spiritual death is actually a path of decay. Where ultimately, which ultimately ends in judgment. Is that clear? Are you sure? Don't worry, we are making progress. Have you learned anything so far? So Paul says that we were dead. He said that that was where we were. We were on a path of decay that would ultimately end in God's judgment. A path of decay that will ultimately end in God's judgment, in God's wrath. It says we're by nature children of wrath. So if I'm trying to understand what it means to be spiritually dead, you know, one of my first points of call is to go to Ephesians chapter 2 and see what Paul described as spiritual death. He says that it is a man's inclination to fulfill the cravings of the flesh. It is an inclination. So, like, I think it was Moriwa that explained it that way one time, that it is more of a direction. That's why I call it a process of decay. It's a direction you are going, and ultimately, you will collect water, water at the end. Because that direction was producing fruits of wickedness. And God will not tolerate it. Amen? According to Romans chapter 5, the Bible says that this death passed upon all men. It says that all men were partakers of this death. Don't worry. Apostle Paul said that that was what you were. <laughs> Praise God. If you have put your faith in Christ and the Lord has saved you, that is who you were. Your inclinations, all of your desires were in a direction a process of decay. That is why when Pisam is saying that there is a certain lifestyle that if you continue living, we have every reason to doubt if you are saved. Because it is only the unregenerate that lives that way. Where their consistent inclination is towards gratifying the desires of the flesh. Do you get now, a person may ask, are you saying that, so, me that I am not, uh, me that I am a sinner, that I commit sins, 
Are you now saying that I'm on a path of decay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm speaking of inclination. I will we'll go into it further, okay? I'm speaking of something here that Paul is saying. Paul is saying that death is a direction. Is a way that a person follows. Where his desires are not towards God. His desires, his inclination is towards fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That is his path. When a Christian lives that way, in that path, we have every reason to question if that person is a Christian. Does that make sense? Every reason to question. Because Paul says that he's only the unregenerate that live that way. It is different from, oh, the righteous stumbling seven times and rising. The, the rising of the righteous is proof that he is not in that way. Do you get the fact that the righteous desires to be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God shows that he is not in that way. But every time a person falls and he desires to stay in the mud, that's a symptom or something deeper. Something is inherently wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the Bible says that that's who we were. That's where we were. Our inclination was towards fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And we were by nature children of wrath. He said that this death that I speak of passed upon all men. Praise the name of the Lord. That sounds like an irony. That when we say that death passed upon all men, praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> this death I speak of is the death that was spoken of in Genesis when God told Adam, in the day you eat of these fruits, you will die. And you have wondered, you've asked, why didn't he die in the day he ate of that fruit? Like, why didn't we see him die? Why didn't he just, you know all those movies where um, maybe dark magic, they cast dark magic on someone and the person suddenly begins to shrivel, shrivel, and then dies, right? Why didn't that happen to them that they ate the tangerine and they shriveled and died? Because the Bible did not tell us it is apple. So it could, it could as well be tangerine. But I think that the forbidden fruit is at Balumo. Because that fruit is an abomination. And it is not of God. God created this, but I think God rejected this. <laughs> Should I say this? I know someone. Was it at Baluma you used to eat bread or mango? <laughs> okay, sorry, it was not at Baluma. It was, it was mango and puff puff. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to <laughs> this. All right. Hallelujah. It's even good because it seems like as I was talking about this death, the atmosphere changes. So this death I speak of is that which was spoken of in Genesis where God said, if you, in the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. And we wonder, why didn't they just shrivel up immediately and die? Well, let us look at 
what we already know what happened to them but let's look at how this process happened so i want us to consider the temptation of the serpent you know genesis chapter 3 read from verse 1 to 4 If you are there, say amen. It says, Now the snake, I love KJV. Oh, snake, the serpent. I'm kidding. <laughs> now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruits from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat tree, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did you notice what the temptation was? The temptation they fell for. The temptation they fell for was beyond fruit. The temptation they fell for was the temptation that came to them and said, you will be like God. What appealed to Eve, what appealed to Adam was that they will be like God after whatever process, after eating of the tree of the garden, they will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's what they fell for. They wanted to be as God. And of course, what that means is that if they became God unto themselves, they are no longer subject to the Almighty. It simply means that in the eating of the forbidden fruit, they rejected the Lordship of God because they wanted to be as God, knowing good and evil. Are you seeing where this is going? That that is why Paul described this death in terms of self-absorption, in terms of self-centeredness, living our lives, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Do you understand? This death was in terms, was defined in terms of what? Self and a consistent rejection of God. So, Adam and Eve rejected God so that they can be God unto themselves. They rejected the lordship, the oversight of God so that they can be God unto themselves, knowing good and evil, determining for themselves what is good and evil, what are the extents of good, how far is too good, how good is too good, how bad is too evil. Do you understand? So it makes sense that in the rejection of God, they were turned the other way on a path of corruption. It makes perfect sense that the end of that road is wrath because when you have rejected God and you have become a God unto yourself, you are turning the other way. Does that make sense? And do you see that that is the world we live in, and not just in this century, but from the beginning of time, that people want to become God unto themselves. 
determining for themselves what is good and what is evil. And so it is a path of corruption that ultimately ends in wrath. It is a path that produces works of wickedness and evil. The reason why that path produces evil is because it is no longer God defining for you what is good and evil, but it is you defining for yourself what is good and what is evil. This is spiritual death. Says this death passed upon all men. Paul said that the dead man lives his life satisfying the cravings of the flesh, following his desires and thoughts. It does not mean that the one who is spiritually dead is not capable of doing good. I am speaking of a direction. I don't even know if I was going to see this one. So if, if you look at scriptures like Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to 20, we know that the unregenerate man, all men actually, all men have something called the knowledge of God, right? They have the knowledge of God by which they are without excuse. This knowledge of God, of course, um, in theology, it is general revelation so there's specific revelation which is this right and there's general revelation where everybody actually has the knowledge of god either of course through nature right through the created order right and also through um immediate revelation revelation that is deposited in the mind of all every man does that make sense did i overdo let me say it again all men have the revelation of god in a sense, in the sense that all men know that there is a God, there is a Lord, there is a ruler of this universe. That knowledge is embedded in what was created, right? And also in our consciences. I think we should just read it so that it's not look as if I am manufacturing things. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, verse 18 to 20, says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So there's something actively going on here. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made these words plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So all people are without excuse because according to Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So a person will look into the heavens you will have to be a fool to say there is no God. A person will look into creation and it will have to be a fool to say there is no God. Praise God. But much more, further down the line, in chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says, Indeed, when Gentiles <clears throat> who do not have the law do by nature 
things required by the law they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them so what does that mean that everybody right has a moral compass that was deposited by god and the umpire is their conscience they know whether they are doing good or evil but spiritual death is such that despite the fact that they know they are on they have turned away from god to be god unto themselves so you will actually see someone who is not born again that one time there is a flicker in his heart where his conscience tells him to do good and he sees someone who is in need and he provides he does something good he is kind to someone it is an anomaly for you to say that that kindness eh, is not good you are lying he did good but his inclination is evil do you get an unregenerate person can do good but spiritual death is that a man has rejected God and he is on a path of corruption. It is active rebellion. Because there is a knowledge of God in his mind. So it is actually active rebellion. That's why God will be just. God will be just. You say, but I did not know. Did you not see the things I created? But I did not know. Did your conscience not defend you and accuse you? Amen. So, the death of such a one is not his inability to do good, but it is his inclination to self. And that's what Paul said. He says that we were living our days to gratify, to satisfy the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're living our days being like God, knowing good and evil, designing for ourselves, deciding for ourselves, determining for ourselves what is good and what is evil. The reason why this is a big deal, the reason why it is important that you know this and you know where God, what God saved you from is that that path itself, remember what I said, is a process of decay. It will always produce works of wickedness and unrighteousness and all of that stuff. And because works of wickedness and unrighteousness and all of that stuff is contrary to the nature of God, you will collect. Does it make sense? It says, and so they were by nature children of wrath. But the Bible says that that's who you were. Let's look at one more place. Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Please, have you learned anything so far? Are you sure? Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though 
every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Did you see that? He is inclined to do evil. He is inclined. He is on a path of corruption. And he will collect. Why we needed a savior to raise us back to life is because this inclination to self was not going to end well. Ezekiel called it a heart of stone. He says this thing, this path that you are on, is not going to end well. So even for our savior, we would have perished or we would perish in the wrath of God. Well, see what our savior did for us. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. There's this song we used to sing in my primary school. It came to my mind, but I don't know it. It sounds like... Jesus, Lord, I ask for mercy. Da, 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 da. Yeah, Catholic girl, you know it. Uh, I, I went to a Catholic primary school, so we sing that song. Let's kind of remember. Okay. Ephesians chapter 2. So after he had said in verse 3 that all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. He says he made us alive. He snatched us from that path of decay and brought us back to life. See what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 9. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. The Bible says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Did you see that? It says that because of what Jesus did, we will be saved from wrath. We who were once dead in sins, children of wrath. It says we were by nature children of wrath. It says now, because of what Jesus did, it says that because we have been justified by the blood, we will be saved from wrath. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. If you are there, say amen. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is good news. That we were in one direction and he snatched us back. He said, nope. Mercy said, no. Mercy said, nope. I was thinking that that nope will cause something in this one's heart. He has been sending me memes about one guy. His Andrew is the holy nope. All right. This is free advertisement for the Holy Noble. 
in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and verse 9. It says that for they, uh -uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. If you have not given your life to Christ, you are in danger. You are in danger because the Bible says that you are by nature children of wrath. And it's not just because, oh, I've been good all my life. No. It is that you are in active rebellion. Right? You are actively turned away from the one who is calling you to save you. Is that you are actively turning away and saying that this is what is good for me and this is what is evil. You are actively living a life where you say that, oh, I have a child in my body, but I don't like it. It is evil, so I will remove it. Oh, my gender is clearly revealed when I was born, but I don't like it. It is evil. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you understand? I said the big stuff so that it can drive it home. But even in the little things that these guys do, is an inclination. It is different from the Christian, though. Because the Christian, too, messes up sometimes. Abi? But the Christian, when he falls, he looks to his maker. He looks to his savior. The Bible says that these things I write unto you that you should not sin. This is what if any man sins, not when, right? It's not a when matter. It's an if matter. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. But this is not the perspective of the spiritually dead. The perspective of the spiritually dead is that as long as it is good, as long as it looks good to my flesh, it is good. As long as it feels right, it is right. And the Bible says at the end of that thing is destruction. And that's what he saved you from. Hallelujah. We're dead. We're turned away from God. But because of the grace of God, we have been turned back to him. We have returned to him. This is what returning to him looks like. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel prophesied about this new birth. This coming alive. That had not yet happened in the Old Testament. It's only people that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel was talking about it in a promissory note. I'm so sorry. It's just an inside joke. So, Ezekiel 36, verse 26 to 27. If you are there, say amen. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you 
to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is the new life. You are moved to follow his decrees such that even when you fall, if you fall in the words of Apostle John, he says your inclination is to follow his decrees. Your desire is to follow his decrees. If that thing is not outworking you, eh? where you make a mistake and your desire is not to go back to your savior chances are that you are in this direction because what we know of the new life is an inclination to follow god's decrees is that clear Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sins and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, here where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with thee. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Wow. Did he bring you back to life? He did. He did. Amen. So now that grace has brought us back to life, do you think it is normal that he resurrected us again to live unto ourselves? Because where we are coming from was a world where we were actually living unto ourselves. Does it make sense that it will bring us back, it will snatch us from the very hands of death, bring us into life, and in this new life, we will live unto ourselves. Does it make sense that it will be that we'll be resurrected just so we may gain the whole world, rest, and enjoy the riches of the earth. If that is all we live for, the enjoyment of the riches of the earth, being laid back and enjoying God's gracious provisions and living unto ourselves, I dare say that we are of all most miserable. If where he snatched you from is a place where you were living for yourself and he has brought you to life and you are still living for yourself and you are still living for 
what his goodness provides in the material. And that's all you're living for. That the reason why they, they brought you back to life, well, all you think of is that I'm going to go to church because I'm going to get connect in church. In church, I'm going to meet a husband. And that's why I am consistent. In church, I'm going to meet a wife. And that's why I am consistent. In church, I'm going to meet someone who will be my business partner and we will make a lot of money in church. If that is who you are, if that is where you are in your faith, you need to come up higher. Because it makes no sense that when he delivered you and brought you back to life, you still want to live for yourself. Because what actually makes sense is that if he brought us back to life, we will live our lives for him. Even if you don't know why. Whether you are grateful to the one who died and rose again and snatched you from the very hands of death. The Bible says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The very person who brought you back to life desires that you will live for him. This life that we talk about, many may think of this life in terms, only in terms of immortality. And maybe that is why they don't see that this life is also a quality. It's not just in terms of immortality. I have the life of God. I've been brought back to life and so I will live forever in the presence of God. It's not just a living forever in the presence of God. It's also a quality of life. He actually brought you back to life so that you can live. I'll tell you what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 11 to 15. Are you there? It says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. But are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If you are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. You know, in the KJV, it says that if one died, then, then, then all were dead. So he's saying that, just emphasizing again, that all were dead and so one had to die. Watch. He now says in verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Did you see that? Paul says that because of Christ's death, those who live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who died and rose again. It says, if you are out of our minds, it is for Christ's sake, it is for God. We are not trying to live unto ourselves. 
If we say we are crazy, it is for him. Because we are not living unto ourselves. This is not about us anymore. It's about the one who died and rose again. Much more. He says something is actually driving us. He says it is the love of God that compels us. Let me tell you something. The reason why we love much is because we have been forgiven much. If truly you recognize that you have been forgiven much, all your delight will be on him. All your affection will be on him. All your desire will be him. If truly you recognize that you were forgiven much, if truly you recognize that you were brought from death into life, it says that when you, dis- when you see it, when you recognize it, and all your delight is in the Lord, your own desires will be his desires. Do you see that? Your own desires will be his desires. When you recognize that you have been forgiven much and all your delight is the Lord, you will live for him. You will live for him. Amen. See Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. What does it say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you see that? Paul says I've been crucified with Christ. Look at the very next verse. Oh, it's not this one. So there's another place where, of course in Galatians, where it says that from henceforth, let no man trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. You know, the marks of Jesus there is not talking about breast marks um, and uh, I don't know, you know, maybe like a mark team that you, you are now a Christian. The marks of Jesus there are his tribes, his canings, his beatings, his floggings. He says he bears that mark on his body. He says that because I died he says, when Jesus died on that cross, I died with him. He says that the life I'm now living is the one that he gave me. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If he brought me back to life, what is naturally expected is that I will live for him and not for myself. Hallelujah. I like Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 to 21. I remember when Pastor Diola came and he preached on Philippians chapter 1. And a certain brother at the back was just crying. Because it was, it was too much to bear. Where's my Philippians? Verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed 
or will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain See that Christ may be glorified in my body whether by life or by death and the context is that brother Paul was in prison right and was asking them to pray for him and I was saying I'm confident that through your prayer and the supply of the spirit right, it will turn out to my deliverance he now goes on to say in that verse 20 that I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death that is the that is the statement of a man the same man who told us that I died and the life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and died for me the same man that said that if one died then all were dead that day and it says and if he died for all those who live should no longer live to themselves but for the one who died and rose again so we see it in practice here in Philippians where it says that I know that Christ will be exalted in my body whether I die or I live because for me to live is Christ do you see that so when we say that we have been brought from death to life we are not just talking about life in an abstract sense you know there's a way we talk about it we even rejoice about it I have eternal life glory but it is abstract to you is abstract what is eternal life all you know about eternal life is that immortality will be revealed in me one day this mortality will be swallowed up by life and that seems to be what you know about eternal life the life that you have received but it's much more than that it's not just life in an abstract sense it's a life of active faith actively living on to the one who died for you and rose again from the dead it is one way we are out of our minds praise god it's one way we are out of our minds where our concern is not what people will say about us preaching the gospel what people will say about us stewarding god's creation and caring for the poor and caring for the needy and taking advantage of the platforms that God has given us so graciously so that we can do his will. Letting our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's what he has called us to. That's the kind of life he has called us to. Not a life unto ourselves. Truly in this world, some of us will have good things. But it's not a pointer to you some of you will build houses and have millions and billions in your accounts and some will not even have some will rent houses till God calls them home and that's absolutely fine Abby is not fine no say it's not fine now some will have cars some will not Abi is not fine. I went to preach somewhere recently and I said the same thing. I hope you know that it's not all of you that have been millionaires and the pastor did like this. I am not joking in real life. 
<laughs> you couldn't believe it. <laughs> we are out of our minds. For God. For his sake. So that when they say that, ah, you are preaching the gospel, you need to go and preach the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to people. I need to preach the gospel in the bus and all of that. You know, this is for all of us. Because there are times when I'm like, I'm in a bus and I'm like, I should be talking. But my mouth is not moving. <laughs> because I'm afraid of what people will say. And you see someone, you know that this person, your direction is like this. But you're afraid. You're afraid of being ostracized. You don't want, you don't want to lose friends. You don't want your friends to call you Daddy Gio and Mommy Gio. You don't want your office people to reject you. You don't want them not to invite you to their parties and team hangouts and all of that. You're afraid. It's because we are still living to ourselves. This life is not just the immortality. It is the quality. If he brought us back to life, then we must live for him. If he resurrected us, then we must live that resurrected life. Oh, you have a platform. You end up becoming the ogre in your office. And that platform, somehow, is all about you. There's so much you can do with that platform. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't go and be desiring the platform so that you can do more for God. Because that's what some people will be hearing. That, ha, I will become CEO so that I can do more for the Lord. But you are not doing anything for the Lord even when you are inside the bus and preaching the gospel. Who says that you will preach the gospel when you get there? People think that it will get easier when you become a big man or a big woman. It won't. In fact, there is more to lose there. If they ostracize you there, there is more to lose. You get. So it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. But if somehow you find yourself in such positions, in such platforms that God has graciously given to you, you must live for the one who died and rose again. You have money more than other people. You must use that money for the one who died and rose again. So that on that day, when he says that, ah, I was needy, I was hungry, you did not feed me. You will not say, ah, when did you come to my house and I did not feed you? Do you get, do you get the reference? Because if you have, you, you have to feed him. And he's saying that, you are saying that, but he's not here to feed. He will tell you that, but there were hungry people around you. There were naked people around you. And you said, I, I did not know. It is me. It is me that was naked and hungry. And you did not feed me or clothe me. So some people acquire wealth. And stack up wealth. And stack up wealth. And like the rich fool, they sit down and say, I have, I have created an inheritance for my children. And my children's children. Who told you you have children? Or who told you that your children will live to enjoy the inheritance. Who told you that the fear of Abraham will not be fulfilled in you? That it is his chief servant. 
that eventually that will inherit his properties. Do you get the reference or you don't read your Bibles? So it was that ash. <laughs> I was. <laughs> We must live for him. We'll preach the gospel. We'll see people who are in need and will miss the needs because the Lord has graciously blessed you to do so. Or do you think you think that meeting needs is so par in the plans and purposes of God for your life? Many think like that. <laughs> but the apostle Paul said that if any man steals, if any man stole, whatever. Let him steal no longer, right? Says, but let him work with his hands so he can have enough to give to those who are in need. So giving to those who are in need is part of it. There's a way that we have reduced that to mere philanthropy. And say, oh, we are just doing philanthropy. But no, it's much more than that. It is clothing Jesus. It is feeding Jesus. The Bible actually calls it true religion. Did you see that in your Bibles? James calls it true religion. So if your position in your multinational company is not feeding the needy, is not helping people, you are not living for him. He raised you to life, but you are living for yourself. Do you see that? There is more. There is so much more. Let me emphasize the one that you like. Preaching the gospel. We'll preach it though. You know, one of my personal shades is that it's been a while I went to secondary schools to evangelize. And I keep reminding myself, guy, you are not going to secondary schools again though. Since you came to this Lagos, you have not gone to one secondary school like this. What is wrong with you? If you are in my shoes and you are in the same soap with me, we are not living on him. We are living for ourselves. You are probably afraid of, oh, will the children accept me? Teenagers are naughty. They may not accept me. They may talk down on me. You are living for yourself. If he raised you back to life, you must live for the one who died and rose again. Hallelujah. Finally, we must remember that this living is fueled by love. Because you may forget and think that I am doing a lot of stuff so I should get a pass mark. Let me bust a quick bubble. 1 Corinthians 13. And you will see why all your delights, all your affection should be on him. First Corinthians 13 actually is showing us that it is possible for a man to be doing all these things I'm talking about and still be living for himself. Living for the applause of men. Living for the glory of men. Let me show you. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong 
or a clanging symbol. You cannot remove love from the equation. Paul actually says that it is the love of Christ that compels us. He says that if he died for all, then he died so that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. The reason why they will not live for themselves is because something is compelling us. The love of God compels us. says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, it says that it's possible. You know, funny thing is, fun fact, it's a personal fun fact, is I don't believe this is, uh, what do you always call it? Hyperbole. That Paul was in, I, I don't believe it. But of course, because, I mean, he didn't expound on it, so, means I'll not expound on it. <laughs> Just like the yeah, baptism of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15. You will not expound on it. Because we don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> no vexer. But just look at that. He says that I can speak with tongues that men will hear me. It will be tongues of men. He says that I can even enter new levels. I speak with tongues of angels. He says that I don't have love. I'm just making noise. So no matter what you think the use of tongues is, for example, oh, tongues is strictly for evangelism. Because in Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues to witness um, to people around them, right? All of that. They were speaking in tongues and what they were speaking was glorifying what Christ has done and all of that. That's fine. Even if you use tongues to glorify God, to talk about what Christ has done, guess what? If you have no love, it says that you're a clanging symbol. And if your own use of tongues is prayer, oh yes, you can use tongues to pray. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 that Paul prayed in tongues. Okay? So you can actually pray in tongues. So tongues is not only um, for evangelism, right? And witnessing is also praying. You know, we like to stay in extremes a lot. I say, no, tongues is not a prayer language. I hear what you are saying. That yes, tongues is not a prayer language. That is not the only way you should be praying. But people can pray in tongues. Paul prayed in tongues. Alright? Now, if that tongues... Eh? If what you are doing with it is praying, tongues of men, you enter new levels, tongues of angels, enter seventh heaven, tongues of the four living beasts. If there is no love, it says you're a clanging symbol. This is the most painful one. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, not this one, but we'll get there, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, this is also a point as what prophecy is. Homework. <laughs> What's his prophecy? I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. Just a point. I'm just saying it's a point. It should, be, it should also help you in your equation. When you want to define what is prophecy, right? Add this to your equation too. Amen? Okay. Why am I looking at this side? Okay, because there's a heretic here. Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Painful part. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast <laughs> but do not have love, I gain nothing. The Bible says that it is very possible 
as I am preaching now and saying that we should live for him, it's possible some people can actually live here to live for him so that they can boast. If you remove love from the equation, it will have accidents. I'm not even saying that there's a punishment for not living for God. I'm saying that if he brought you back to life, you should live for the one who brought you back to life. Like Paul, you should have this perspective that I died on that cross with him. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We must have that perspective. We must delight in the Lord. The Lord must be our desire. The focus of our attention and our worship. So that his desires can be our desire too. I mean, you don't know that it is when you spend time with him that his desires become your desires too. The things that are important to him become the things that are important to you. If the things that are important to him are not important to you, what will happen to you is the motions of 1 Corinthians 13, where you will actually see, like a legalist, you will give your body to be burned. You will give yourself over to hardship. But it is not because you love him. It's not because you recognize that he died for you. It's not because you recognize that he snatched you from the very hands of death. It is because you want to boast. It's because you want approval of men. If he died for all, if he died for all, then he died so that all who live may not live to themselves, but for the one who died and rose again. I want us to spend some time praying. Before we sing. Father, we owe our lives to you. Everything that we are, we owe to you. We owe to your involvement in our lives. We owe everything, everything to you. You have saved us. You have delivered us from the power of darkness and you've translated us into the kingdom of your dear son in whom we have redemption through your blood even the forgiveness of sins we bless you because you have blessed us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in christ as you have chosen us in you before the foundations of the world that we should be without blame before you in love you have settled on us as the focus of your love we bless you you've accepted us in the beloved called us your own you redeemed us you delivered us you sealed us with your holy spirit how will we not live for you we thank you we thank you lord we pray that you will help us you will help us you will help our church you will help us as individuals that we will truly live for you in the name of jesus we pray that you will work in us that which is pleasing in your sight we look to you as our source and our sustenance. And we pray that you will work in us. You will help us. You will strengthen us. We pray for harvests of boldness among us. In the name of Jesus. That we will go out in boldness to do your will. To preach the gospel. To steward your creation. In the name of Jesus. Help us Lord. Help us Father. We give you praise forever. In Jesus name. And everybody says Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.